Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home to NARC Troopers. You can visit me at that website, narctroopers.com, where you'll find all kinds of goodies to help you understand what is NPD and how can we reclaim our lives after we have been tangled up with someone who has NPD. Today's topic is, why is the covert narcissist so dangerous? Well, that's a loaded question, isn't it? What we must know to protect ourselves and stop the cycles of torture? Oh my gosh. I want to tell you a little sidebar. I started um, uh, a new job in a new state. I moved from Austin, Texas to um, California, coastal California near San Francisco in the Bay. And I was told that I have a Texas accent. So now I'm really self-conscious about it. (laughs) And I hadn't really thought about it before. So I feel like I should be saying, hey, (laughs) y'all, we're going to talk about this narcissist thing. But that's not how I talk. Um, So anyway, now I'm hearing this really Texan accent that I have never noticed before. Um, I'm going to be working on that, everybody. (laughs) Okay, just a little um, introductory note of something that kind of surprised me this week. Okay, so let's talk about the covert narcissist and why they are so deadly, so lethal, so horribly dangerous to your mental health, physical well-being, your energetic body, your spiritual self. Why are they so dangerous? Well, the covert narcissist may seem like a very nice person. They may appear to be charming, sweet, polite, compassionate, altruistic, helpful, and kind. Why would anyone doubt that such a wonderful package of benevolence could be anything else but just a good person? Well, that's the whole point. According to NPD researcher Veronica Wells, she says covert narcissists are not compassionate. They are not altruistic, trustworthy, kind, nor meek. They are quite the opposite, but you do not see that. And when something is the opposite of what it appears to be, that is treacherous. That is danger. So covert narcissists are the very epitome of treachery. And treachery is the epitome of danger. What is danger? dangerous? Um, what you don't see will injure you the most because you can't avoid it and you don't ever see it coming until it's too late, so you can't prepare for it. The covert narcissist is Judas hiding amongst people that you trust. They can accomplish what an entire army cannot because they use the back door. Betrayal is possibly the worst thing any human can do to another, and covert narcissists are the specialists 
in the art of betrayal. So you never see it coming. You're blindsided. And when it does come, it comes with a force of nature that completely annihilates your very essence as a human being. Recovery is long and painful. And those who experience um, have to go through this recovery process, this detox from this, this um, you know, addiction. They have to experience a multitude of challenges um, because they're addicted to this intermittent reinforcement called trauma bonding. You often get PTSD, acute panic disorder, uh, all kinds of anxiety, not to mention a host of other kinds of manifestations of the trauma that you have um, experienced in that relationship and especially at the end. Um, you know, you can even have things like adrenal fatigue and neurochemical dysregulation. Um, you store trauma in your body and in your cells. The narcissist clones you, and I have a separate episode to talk about that, but they replicate like a virus inside of you, inside of your head, putting things in your mind and in your bones and in your cells and in your blood. They totally, totally invade you. You know, uh, you can get peptide addiction caused from these cellular changes that make recovery more akin to heroin withdrawal instead of a simple breakup. You know, your identity is shattered and trust in other people is permanently altered. It is an existential crisis. And I know I've said this before, but I keep wanting to come back to it because it is, you know, it's this feeling of, um, that you're just in a vacuum of nothingness because you've been obliterated is what that means. It's a, it's a nothingness. It's an absence. That's what the narcissist is. And the longer you're with them, the more you disintegrate, the more you decompose, your identity weakens and um, it is replaced with all of the narcissist stuff. Um, so, you know, you lose not only the narcissist from the discard, eventually, if you don't leave, they will sooner or later, even if it's 30 years in, at some point, they're going to exit the building. But, you know, in addition to losing them, you also lose yourself, your sense of agency, your sense of identity, all of it. You just, you know, gone. We trick ourselves into thinking that we can heal them, fix them, bring them back to life and some kind of wellness. But you know, that is impossible. They are hollow to the core and they died a long time ago, replacing their authentic selves with a false persona. We may think that we are in a relationship with them, but it is all just a shared fantasy or mutual psychosis because they aren't there. Robert Torbay, a famous narcissism expert, he writes, narcissists are ice people. They cannot manufacture their own spiritual heat. 
They must leech it from others. Narcissists need your fire, your passion, your rage. This is converted into pure fuel, pure energy, and greedily gulped down by our narcissist. Sadly, there's never enough. No matter how much attention our narcissist can get, it all wears off quickly and something more interesting comes along and everyone gets tired. Then our poor narcissist is out in the cold again. Our narcissist never figured out how to generate their own spiritual heat. They never entered their abandoned bodies, cleaned them out, made them less toxic, and made them nice places to live, which is sort of what we are tasked to do now, those of us who have been used and chewed up and spit out by the narcissist, that's, that's what we have to do. We, we have abandoned ourselves for them. We have to return to that abandoned self that we have, clean it up, get rid of the toxic waste, um, you know, and make it a nice, tidy, safe place to be. That's our job. That's what we have to do now. They never learned how to do that. Um, they, they, um, you know, there's, they don't have anywhere to live. They are spiritually homeless. Their homes are icy cold and not suitable for habitation. Thus they seek to make a home inside of you. Wow. That's right out of a horror movie, right? Um, kind of like a parasite. Uh, something that infects you and starts eating you from the inside out. Whew. The way our narcissist does this is by acting like you as a child. Like you as a child, they imitate the, the little mini you so that you will not harm them. No matter how much they harm you, you don't want to live in your own body either. You know, my ex-husband the narcissist told me many times, you know, that when you sleep, it, your soul leaves your body. And, uh, you know, oh, poor bastard, you know, he, he was, man, I don't want to get into it, but let me just say, you know, you, okay, I can't even talk about the soul and the religious part too much for me. Can't, it's, um, I just can't, it feels, doesn't feel right to talk about that, but you need to know that there's something childlike, innocent, and vulnerable about them, fragile, delicate, which makes it to where you want to protect them and take care of them and keep them safe and all of that. And it makes it, they, they deliberatively do that and present themselves as almost little children that are uh, have been victimized and, and have been abused and mistreated and, and they're scared and they're hurt. And don't you want to help me? And yeah, <laughs> people like, like us, codependents, people with attachment disorders and abandonment issues, like many people who get, get, you know, get stuck and stay in these relationships with these 
not okay people, you know, that's just what we live for is somebody like that. It's like, let me help you. Let me rescue you. I'm going to love you back to wellness. So they imitate the child in you. And it's just part of, you know, I don't even think it's conscience, conscious decision. I think it's just something that, that they naturally do as predators. It's like a disguise. It's like the sheep in the, uh, the wolf in the sheep's clothing. It's like the part of the false persona that they put on is, oh, look at me. I'm just a little cutie patootie. I'm so adorable. Look, I have dimples and I'm so cute and I do funny little dances and I hop on one foot and I'm just so adorable. They're predators. They're deadly. They're dangerous. Do not be fooled by the funny dances and the dimples and the cutie patootie adorable routine. You know, underneath that, behind that, that part of them that's acting like that, it's not real. It's all just for show. It's a role that they are putting on. It's not really them. It's not genuine or authentic. It's a song and dance. It's a show. It's a role in a play. So they imitate the child in you and and then that renders you sort of unable to treat them as an adult and try to hold them accountable for all of the shenanigans that they're always up to. You know, you don't want to, um, uh, you know, to be in, you really, a lot of times the people that stay with the narcissist, they, they want an escape too. They're not happy, really. They, they don't want to live in their own bodies. They've had something horrible happen there too. And it's run down and there might be rats and rubbish everywhere and whatever. And so you've got two people, both who were probably abused or traumatized or whatever when they were super young. And one of them has narcissistic personality disorder and has, has brain damage and has uh, a complete lacking of true identity, self um, positive emotions, positive effect, um, the capacity for love or intimacy or fidelity or trust or, or faith or anything, you know, they don't have it. They're not capable of it. And then, and then the other injured person, we turn into the healers, the empaths, the codependents, the people with attachment disorders and who are so eager to please and eager to fix and and to take care of all the poor, broken people in the world, right? So, um, so for people with healthy, let's talk about this. Not everybody has horrible childhood. Um, you know, people with healthy childhood experiences, and they do exist. Do not believe the BS that says, well, everybody was abused. No, they weren't. There were some people who were not. Uh, and who had pretty normal childhoods, you know, pretty healthy homes. Those people exist, and they were whole, and they were nurtured, and they were complete. And, you know, those people, they're going to run for the exit. Shortly after witnessing some of these red flags that show up every time the narcissist starts, you know, fishing for, uh, like, a, a person to draw the fuel and supply from, you know, this person who's going to be installed as their objectified, exploited, snapshotted, uh, idealized, 
fake savior person temporarily, that person, um, you know, the, when they're looking for that person, there's going to be warning signs and they're, they're not, um, easy to miss. They're pretty obvious, you know, but we don't go. We see those warning signs. We see the red flags and there we are still hanging out, going even closer. You know, let me pet it. Oh, it's not a wild animal. It's not going to rip our throat out. Let's just sit down and hug it and pet it like a bunny wabbit. Um, so for those of us who had this childhood trauma, this archaic wounding and toxic scripts and bad programming and dependency and attachment issues and, you know, and maybe just a compulsion to save everybody. The challenge is way too delicious to walk away from. It doesn't make it their fault or even, you know, our fault or anybody's, the whole blame thing is irrelevant, isn't it? There's no real bad guy here. There's a mentally ill person that's the narcissist, right? Is he evil? That's that word. What does that even mean? Yeah, I think possibly evil, demonic, Luciferian entities set up camp inside people who are mentally ill with things like narcissistic personality disorder, because why not? What a great host for a party (laughs) to go hang out at their house, you know, if I were a, a little demon thingy, uh, you know, I might want to crawl into some nice, warm narcissist. What a nice little habitat, right? Um, but are they intrinsically evil? No. The, the, the narcissism is a mental illness triggered early on, causing developmental challenges, brain damage, chemical imbalances, um, bad wiring, um, all kinds of things. It wasn't their fault. They're victims as much as their victims are. You you can't play the victim card and say, I'm the victim. The narcissist is bad and evil. That's just not true. The truth is you're both victims. And, you know, what do they say? Hurt people hurt people. (laughs) I hate to quote such a overused um, platitude. But, I mean, it does fit here, right? Hurt people hurt people. And that is exactly the narcissist, you know. They are injured. They are damaged. They are broken. They are defective. They are twisted and shriveled and deformed. And, And that happened to them because of something awful that happened to them early on. Um... And sure, there's probably predisposition, genetic um, inclinations. It's probably something that could be hereditary, generational, um, generational trauma, epigenetics. There's a lot of things that push the person who develops narcissistic, malignant mental health disorders. It pushes them in that direction, whereas a person who maybe did not have some of those other predisposition factors like heredity, like you come from a family of narcissists and psychopaths, you know, then more than likely, um, yeah, that's not going to be a good thing. The odds are not in your favor. Um, you know, biology is not your destiny. I love that bumper sticker saying 
biology is not your destiny, but in many ways it sure can stack the odds against you that you're going to have a problem, right? Um, so it just, you know, it's not their fault. It's not, it's not anybody's fault. And, and why even be a victim or assign that label to anyone here? It doesn't matter. You know, you're both victims and the narcissist does unspeakably horrible things. He essentially murders you. Uh, but you know, he's mentally ill. <laughs> Come on. He's mentally ill. What do you think a mentally ill predator is gonna do? You can't fix them. There is no cure for malignant pathological narcissism. There is no cure. He's gone. Whatever little innocent, normal person he might've been or she, um, done over gone, not even a choice. Not even a choice. Long time ago, that happened. And um, they've just been this false construction of wearing different robes and costumes and shape-shifting and doing all that ever since. They've grown up that way doing that. And they've perfected it where it's pretty damn convincing, this false facade. Um, so you have a damaged false person and a traumatized, injured person together, you're going to have a hellscape of dysfunction and doom when those two get together. You know, a lot of people say the most common pairing is narcissist and borderlines. Talk about a relationship straight out of the bowels of hell. That would be it, you know, the narcissist and the borderline because they have complementary mental illnesses that feed off of each other and just a very intense and horribly um, toxic and dangerous kind of way. The esteemed godfather of narcissism, Dr. Sam Vaknin, quotes from an October 2020, 2021 article entitled, The Self-Concepts of People with Dark Triad Traits Tend to Be Weaker, Less Clearly Defined, and More State-Related. Wow, that is one hell of a title, right? It's like two sentences long. I'm not even going to read that to you again. It's not important. Here's what is. The dark triad, um, the dark triad is a combination of psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism or manipulativeness. This dark triad, um, the highlights say that dark triad traits create a weaker sense of self, no ego, no identity. It's, you know, some people think, oh, a narcissist has a big ego. A true malignant pathological person with narcissistic personality disorder has no ego. Their ego dystonic. Their ego is crushed, shriveled, deformed, broken, atrophied, uh, dead, dust, murdered in the corner. They have no ego, no functioning ego. Um, you know, um, Sam Vaknin says narcissists and borderlines have an unstable sense of self. It's, um, um, oh, I can't think of the word. <laughs> I'll come back to it. Um, so in this study, they found higher levels of the dark triad traits lead to weaker or absent sense of identity and ego. So this idea seems to dehumanize the narcissist, borderlines, and secondary psychopaths 
but naming this is really necessary. It's not that I'm trying to dehumanize them. I'm trying to point out a fact that they are uh, impaired beyond repair. They're impaired beyond repair. I just said that and that's kind of clever. That was an accident. I didn't mean to say that. Okay, so why does any of this matter, right? Because it is through the self that we experience the world around us and the self is the way that we interact with other people. It is the um, interrelational components that comprises a human being, right? We are the confluence of everyone around us, uh, according to Vaknin, which is, is the core of object relations theory, which is a big deal with narcissists. You should read about that, object relations theory. Self, back to the point I'm trying to make. Self is a crucial concept in predicting the outcomes of any relationship, personal or interpersonal or whatever. It, it is a predictor of how that's going to go. Dark triad personalities tend to have disturbed and diffused self-concepts, something called identity disturbance. Learning to recognize these traits is important because it allows us to predict reckless, callous, destructive, impulsive behaviors that accompany the person with NPD. Think about that. If you have partnered with a spouse or a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, who has NPD, really has it, not just a jerk or a bad person or um, spoiled brat or you know, whatever, but a true narcissist with narcissistic personality disorder, malignant, pathological, with all the dysfunctional brain stuff and chemical stuff and cellular stuff and just the whole shebang. That person, it's important to study this stuff because it helps us see these qualities about them, right? You, you know your narcissist is reckless, callous, hard-hearted, cold-blooded. They are destructive. They are self-destructive also, self-sabotaging as well as destructive to everyone else. They're impulsive, reckless people. Yeah. So when there's not an immutable, unchanging core, because that's what we're supposed to have, right? We're supposed to have an immutable, unchanging core that serves as our navigational device. In a way, it's part of our moral compass. Then there is something called, and I love this, it's a disconstellated self or lack of self. Constellated, like the stars, they're in an order, they're organized, they're set they're unchanging. They're always up there. Even if you can't see them behind the clouds, they're always up there. You know, they never leave. They're there when you look up. So with a narcissist, they are disconstellated. Their self is disconstellated. It's fragmented. It's, it's been shotgun blasted to the point where it's in little pieces all over the place, just debris and scraps of what used to be. 
their self, their core, their identity, their ego. There's nothing left of it that's living and functioning like a normal person. And this is what leads them to be unable to create healthy, lasting relationships. When someone has a disturbed lack of self, it's a profound way to identify mentally sick people and to stay away from them if, if they don't have this core that we're, that we're talking about. Healthy people use trait-based descriptions of themselves by referring to who they are, their feelings, their beliefs, their moral constructs. But unhealthy people explain their actions by referring to outside of themselves. They can't refer to their internal stuff, beliefs, morals, constructs, feelings, because there's nothing in there. That's why they can't refer to what's in there internally. They have no internal landscape. So they have to refer to things outside them. That requires them to refer to external sources because there's nothing inside. And by external sources, you know, that means they're blaming everything but themselves. It's always someone else's fault. It's always something else's fault. It's always not them. They're never accountable. They're never responsible. They can never, ever make a mistake. They can never learn because they, you have to make a mistake and fail to learn from it, right? But they never fail in their minds. They are perfect and flawless and godlike. It's everything else that is to blame for the condition of their life. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So the, um, what do I want to tell you next? The covert narcissist often possesses um, all kinds of problems, comorbidities, you know, different, different things. Um, and it's their connection to all these different clinical um, things that can be wrong with them that are, that makes, that they're consistent and they are predictable. So the vulnerable, shy, covert narcissist has a disease that limits and convolutes how they relate to other people and the world around them. They don't live in our reality. They don't live in this world. Coverts often have other things wrong with them, like addictions to porn, drugs, alcohol, spending, all that. They have schizoid features, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, manic behaviors, antisocial, like sociopathic tendencies, and the list just goes on and on. Sometimes they're just a whole cocktail of, uh, they're just a hot mess. <laughs> cocktail of, I couldn't think like what kind of, like a crazy cocktail. Um, 
it wasn't exactly what I wanted to say, but it works. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. So imagine what you could accomplish. If you just think about this, imagine what you could do if you had no empathy, no compassion for other people. If you had no moral structure or clear concept of right or wrong, if you never felt responsible for the things that you do and always easily blame other people, if you could coldly and callously destroy other humans without hesitation, remorse, or a shred of guilt, where would you draw the line? Where would you draw the line? What would be the limit that you would not cross to get what you want, or in some cases to merely survive? You know, that is why the maladaptive, um, the maladaptive covert narcissist is dangerous. That's why. Because they are not like you or me or any other normal neurotypical human being. Some would argue that they lost their humanity a long time ago that they're the walking dead, decaying inside, cold and cavernous, lacking all authentic emotions or soul. They outsource their identity. Mm -hmm. They outsource their identity and collect characteristics and narcissistic supply to create the illusion of a real person, a real self, a real human. But they're just collecting these characteristics, these personality traits, and they just wear them for a while. And then when they are bored of it or tire of it, or they find something else that works better, they just throw that off in the dumpster, put on the new costume and off they go. Off they go. Um, so um, they are a macabre, rotting, mass of blood and bones and flesh without conscience or concept of decency or integrity. Now, it sounds like I'm really trashing them. I'm stating fact. There's no judgment here. I'm not saying they're demonic, evil creatures. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they are seriously flawed, mentally ill people who are really scary. Um, they're unpredictable. They're fluid they're ever-changing. That makes them dangerous. Okay? Dangerous. Um, so how do I want to end this? <laughs> I want to have um, some words of wisdom. I've been listening to Dr. Vaknin speak a lot recently about the things left behind in a person after enmeshment and entrainment where the narcissist does something to you to feed off of you, to convert you, to clone you, to replicate himself in you, to uh, hatch all his little narcissist eggs like inside your body and in your brain so that even when he's gone, it's like a virus. It's like an infestation that still lives inside of you. Oh my gosh, what a gross, horrible, freak show kind of image that is, isn't it? But, you know, these introjects, those are the like voices that are in your head. That's what an introject is, the 
every your your lived experience your life puts these interjects in your head and the narcissist is really good at conditioning you um maybe unknowingly i don't know i don't know you know i guess sometimes they know what they're doing but i'm guessing most of the time it's not a calculated deliberate thing they are what they are you don't ask a shark or a lion or a tiger you know why are you chasing down that 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 seal or that um antelope and shredding it to pieces and chomping it with your sharp teeth and tearing all of its flesh and gobbling it up why you do you, don't you feel bad about that don't you have empathy for that animal's suffering don't you feel like you've done something wrong and you feel guilty don't you feel um their pain a little bit like no they don't they're they have to eat right a predator it's like the food chain right they have to eat that's what they do to survive there's no judgment there's no moral um thing they're just predators that need to feed and that's what a narcissist is it's just a hungry hungry hippo a really hungry empty cavernous hollow human being who needs to feed off of others to keep their false self going and that's it there's nothing more it's not that they're evil and they want to hurt you on purpose there some of them could have sadistic streaks and that could be true but i think the majority of narcissists do not have the intention to inflict pain they just want fuel supply character traits residual benefits you know money connections networking opportunistic kinds of things you know they want sex they want a housekeeper they want your car they want your money they want whatever you know it's not that they sit around and thinking how can i wreak havoc in this world no they just want to feed and you are supper and when they have feasted on you long enough then it's off to chase some fresh prey and it's just what they do just like a shark or a lion or anything else because that's all that's left of them that whole inner core of humanity where we have virtue and and we fight for all of the things that are 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 human that are right that are moral that are virtuous and we try to live lives of honor and integrity and um be uh you know be decent they can't they don't they don't even know what that is like how about having this conversation with a lion or a shark when you're thinking about that narcissist just think they're a lion or a shark you're not going to sit down and talk to them about morality or about decency or integrity or fidelity or honor they don't know what it is they're just hungry and ready for some dinner so that's why a covert narcissist is dangerous some people manage to recover and i don't i can't tell you how blessed and fortunate you are to have made it to the other side because it is a perilous journey and it is the hardest thing you're ever going to do it's it's crazy hard and some people never fully recover they get stuck and they and they 
have prolonged grief syndrome. That's actually a diagnosis that happens following narcissistic abuse to some unfortunate people who just can't move on. They have been so damaged and crippled that they, you know, they've bled out or whatever, and they just don't have the chutzpah to pull themselves, the scraps left of themselves together and go for triage and to get recovered. They just can't. They they try, but they they just can't. And so you have that. And then you have people that they're not just stuck with prolonged grief syndrome. They just don't make it, period. They just either become narcissists themselves, um, and that does happen, or they, they die. Because, you know, really what has happened is that that narcissist had to murder you to separate from you, to finish out his little parentified, uh, you know, mock mother proxy scenario. That's what he's doing. You're playing the mom, the mom that made him a narcissist, the mom that abused, abandoned, neglected, traumatized him. You get to be her. He gets to go back and relive that in a, in another chance, a second chance to get parented correctly. And then he, he's going to have to murder you, destroy you, completely annihilate you to individuate and separate from you. At the end of all this, it's his only chance he feels like to be a real human being and it never lasts. And that's a whole talk for another episode, but that's the motivation of every narcissist is to reenact their childhood dynamics with you in that role and to ultimately, after they have ensnared you, entrained you, enmeshed you, conditioned you, brainwashed you, cultivized you, and all of that, co-opted you, after all that, then they have to destroy you. And and destroy you, they do. And that's why the covert narcissist is so very dangerous. They're deadly. They're murderers because they're predators. And that's just what they do. They're mentally incapable because of their illness, because of the damage, because of what happened to them and how it it changed them in ways that there's it they have been damaged in a way there's no coming back from it there's no coming back to themselves they're gone and you my trooper who is trying to recover from something like this you know um you can come home to yourself they can't but unless you're a narcissist also, which I guess happens from time to time, two narcissists hook up and wow, what a extravaganza that is. But if you're, you know, if you have a core, an identity, an ego, a self, even if it's damaged and injured, you can restore it. You can rehab it. You can um, do what you need to do to get past this. So don't fall into the category of getting stuck in prolonged grief 
You need to fight those voices in your head. You need to fight the ruminations, the triggers, the intrusive thoughts. You need to find tools and ways to uh, get past it, to conquer it. Because this is a battle for your life. I, I don't know if you know that by now, but it is. You are fighting for your life. And if you are wallowing and marinating in your grief and craving that narcissist because of your addiction, you are at risk of getting stuck, uh, becoming mentally ill yourself, having physical illness, disease, and death. You are at risk of suicidal outcomes. You are at risk of, of never being able to move on and be okay. So be aware of what has happened and what is happening. And come on, let's be vigilant. Let's be strong. Let's fight. Let's fight the tendency to, to you know, every craving, every longing, every sad, despair-filled thought. You have to beat it. You have to get it out of your head and you have to find a way, find a way to, to come back to yourself because that's, that's your only hope of, of freedom and escape from um, what has happened here. So that is it for today. Um, yes, I heard myself talking to you. And I do sound kind of Texas, and now I can't unhear it. I've had an epiphany today. Oh, my gosh, what if I'm a Texan for life? I guess there's worse things than I could be, right? Um, I don't particularly think that I want to be that. But, you know, um, I guess I have to take it. You know, that's my roots. I've been in Texas most of my life. Of course I sound like a Texan. So, y'all need to uh, try to spend some time loving yourself (laughs) and be good to yourself and uh, eat some ice cream and um, take a long walk, uh, stick your feet in the ocean or go hug a tree and say to yourself, I'm worth it. I'm going to be a fighter, a warrior, a soldier, a trooper, a trooper, like an art trooper, you know, narcissistic abuse trooper recovery trooper. I'm going to be that. I'm not just going to lay down and, and, and die because of what happened to me. I'm going to fight. I'm going to live. I'm going to live in reality and I'm going to make the best of it. And I'm going to be, um, claiming all of my stuff that I need to claim. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to try to go work on my, um, Maybe I need to, to, to try to get a different accent. I don't know. I don't have an ear to pick up how California people speak or Massachusetts people. You know, my part of my family lives in Massachusetts, and I do like to parody them and talk about parking my car and walking to my, walking to my apartment. My apartment. Yeah. Um, I do that poorly, but you know, you get the idea, but, um, yeah, I'm a Texan. So, um, embrace what you are, be proud of it, 
let's get over this thing that's happened to us and live our lives. Okay, I'm going to stop rambling about Texas. All right, I promise I will not talk about that again. That's my own personal battle that has nothing to do with this other thing. So, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, have a great week. Love you guys. Bye. Thank you.